0: Hi, Andy.
1: Hi, Victoria.
0: So today we're going to cover a topic that is so critically important in our world, which is chronic pain. It's incredibly common. And while there are many ideas about how to manage uh, the symptoms, we're going to be speaking with someone who believes you can actually cure your pain, that you can unlearn your pain.
1: And this is really mind, body, medicine in action. And of course, mind, body, medicine is a uh, a really central element of integrative medicine.
0: And while Dr. Howard Schubner is our guest, he really learned this initially from another physician, Dr. John Sarno, who was a physiatrist uh, who wrote a book, several books, but his first one, Healing Back Pain. And people would sometimes get better just by reading that book.
1: His theories were revolutionary. And I think finally they're being put into practice. And uh, our guest today is one of the main people doing that.
0: So let's welcome Howard. (music) Dr. Howard Schubner is an internist and a pediatrician and a professor of medicine. As well as the director of the Mind Body Medicine Center at Ascension Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan. Together with Dr. Mark Lumley, he developed emotion awareness and expression therapy, which has been tested in people with chronic pain and found to be effective. He's authored more than a hundred publications in scientific journals and in books. And he's the author of three books: Unlearn Your Pain. Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression, and Hidden from View. Welcome, Howard.
2: Thank you so much. You make me sound serious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a serious topic. Pain is a serious topic for many people. And I'm wondering if we can begin by defining what is neural circuit pain?
2: When I talk to people, I say to people, you can't understand pain unless you understand how the brain works. It turns out that all of our senses, all of our experiences are actually generated in the brain. So when you cut your finger, it's not your finger causing pain. It's actually the brain. The brain decides whether to turn on pain or not. And pain is always protective. It's something we need. And so uh, neural circuit disorder, neural circuit pain just implies that the brain is creating that pain. But it's specifically saying that the brain is creating that pain in the absence of a structural injury, as opposed to the situation where you, you know, you break an arm and and that's triggering the brain to conduct to create pain. But it turns out for the vast majority of people who have chronic pain, they have brain generated pain and they don't actually have a structural injury. This is a revolutionary concept.
0: It really is. And my understanding is that this was first brought forward as a theory by Dr. John Sarno, who you both knew. And I'd like to go back a little in time and ask you, Andy, how did you know Dr. Sarno and and what did you think of his theories?
1: You know, I, I can't remember how I first came across his work But as soon as I began reading what he was saying, it made total sense to me because I had seen over and over that there was very little correlation between uh, back pain, especially the subjective experience and structural correlations as shown on x-rays and and, uh, scans. But his, his idea that the pain is created in the brain, although it may localize at an area of some structural problem, I thought was revolutionary. And then I began referring patients to him, and the success stories were quite amazing. I've reported some of them. One, a good friend of mine, a young man who was literally hours from having neurosurgery, I persuaded him to go uh, listen to Dr. Sarno's uh, lectures. He thought it was ridiculous. You know just thought it was total nonsense, and he came home and his pain disappeared. But that—that that was without even having met in person with Dr. Sarno. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah,
0: that's really a remarkable story. And Howard, I know that Dr. Sarno was a mentor of yours. Can you tell us a little bit more of what you experienced, what you learned?
2: Yeah, um, uh, back in 2002 or so, a friend of mine gave me one of Dr. Sarno's books to read. He said, You should be interested in this, Howard. You're a mindfulness teacher. Uh, You've been interested in mind body stuff, you know, throughout your career. And Dr. Sarno was, he has some different views. And I read. I read that book, The Mind-Body Prescription, and I was just so intrigued and I was at a crossroads in my career. And I called up Dr. Sarno and I said, Dr. Sarno, can I come work with you? And he said, sure, Howard, you know, come next Monday. And uh, I went to New York and I I only spent a few days with him, but it was transformative and seeing how he worked and what he was doing. And I came back to my uh, hospital in Michigan, and I started practicing. And I started listening to patients intensely for hours on end and getting their stories and reading voraciously about the brain and neuroscience and pain. And uh, you know, then just tried to take his ideas and tried to expand them a little bit, tried to do some research on them, tried to, make them really couched in the language of neuroscience that he didn't really have the advantage of, you know, working back in the really 70s and 80s when he started doing this. I have two
1: questions for you about uh, Dr. Sarno's work. The first is he was, I mean, he went very far with his ideas. He said that almost all back pain uh, was uh, this mind-body problem. That he called attention tension myositis syndrome, but he said that it was a mistake to deal with the pain on the back, and he discouraged people from doing any any interventions directed at the back, whether acupuncture, massage, uh, because he said that reinforced the false idea that the pain was coming from the back rather than the brain. That seemed extreme to me, uh, and I wonder how you feel about that. And the other question, let me just state it, and then you can talk about okay, that too. Okay. <laughs> it's tricky to explain this to patients because it's so easy for them to hear that you're accusing them of imagining the pain that the pain is not real that they're making it up and how do you deal with that
2: yeah that's those are great questions well dr Sarner was a purist you know he was really he was dogmatic he was very authoritarian in a lot of ways uh and he his stuff really worked for a lot of people but so to take the components that you mentioned first of all he said almost all back pain is of a mind body uh, variety well it turns out he i wouldn't say All. It's definitely not all. I mean, obviously, some people have foot drops, some people have tumors, infections, whatever. But we're doing a study, a large study, where we're we're showing that 85% of the people with chronic neck and back pain, when given a full and careful diagnostic evaluation, actually do not have a structural disorder. And this is very similar to with headache. Headache, it's 95% of people don't have a structural disorder, abdominal and pelvic pain, it's in the roughly 90% as well. But the question of interventions, I think needs to be moderated because it's basically what we're doing is helping the brain feel safe versus endangered. And so, and we're doing a lot of training of, of physical therapists and acupuncturists and chiropractors and other people who do manual medicine to help teach them how to help reinforce health. In the people they're working on how to show them and use their hands to show them that they're safe and to help them to move in safety with less fear so that they can combine their manual medicine skills with a mind-body approach because i mean you can do it the opposite way it can be kind of counterproductive to for some some manual medicine people to keep allude, you know, keep referring to how badly your, how how your glutes aren't firing, how your core needs to be stronger, how you have to change this and that, and they can be reinforcing a message of of disease, uh, which makes the brain feel more afraid, which makes the pain worse. So I think we need to um, include as many people as we can. We're training people of all stripes in the healthcare field uh, to do this work.
0: I really appreciate that response. Uh, One of the central tenets of integrative medicine is how important language is. And the language we use can be hexing. You know, it can perpetuate the pain or it can be healing. And Andy, I know, you know, you've sometimes said that you've seen a patient who has responded to you that you were the first person who said that you believe they could get well again. And I'm sure that that was so critically important in their healing.
3: Body of Wonder is produced by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona, internationally recognized for innovative health and wellness programs, evidence-based research, and clinical standards. The center offers listeners a wide range of free resources to live and maintain a healthy lifestyle, including online learning, meditations, and short videos. To find out more, go to azcim.org podcast. That's azcim.org podcast.
1: And, and how about this issue of uh, explaining this to a patient without having them feel that you're accusing them of making the
2: pain up? I know, I know. We deal with this every single day. And I've been accused of being a horrible, I've been accused of a lot of bad things <laughs> in, in, in not so subtle language by physicians and, and non-physicians. But what I try to say to people, first of all, is that you know anybody who says that that the pain is all in your head is either dismissive or judgmental or downright cruel or ignorant about how the brain works because all pain is real all pain is generated in the brain and and when they say it's all in your head they're implying that you're you know you're faking it or you're imagining it or it's your fault or you want the pain or you're weak or you're crazy and none of that is true and I've had I've never had a patient disagree with me. Because, and I, I'm saying, I can't imagine, and then you have to apply love, right? You have to be compassionate. No one's going to listen to us if we're not, if we don't demonstrate love and compassion and caring. And, you know, and so I'll say, you know, I, I have no idea what you're going, I can't even imagine, you know, what you're going through, but I know that it's very real and <laughs> Let's look at it carefully. Let's see if we can figure out where this pain is coming from. Because maybe, as Victoria was saying, there's hope. Because the model of healing always includes some kind of explanation, some kind of an an agreed-upon explanation that the doctor and the patient or the provider and the patient agree on, some kind of techniques that you can do to heal, and optimism and hope. And love. So when you put that together, I think for most people they can understand this idea of mind-body uh, pain and mind-body approach. But you know, sometimes the pain is just so severe that it's really hard for people to wrap their head around. And you know, oftentimes it's gonna, it may take some time. I've had people tell me they took my book and they started reading it and they threw it against the wall in disgust. Mm-hmm. You know, this is you know, BS, this is ridiculous. And, you know, a year later, maybe they picked it up again, and they've been, you know, dead ends at a variety of different treatment options.
0: I feel like you're alluding to some of the principles and practices of the emotion awareness and expression therapy that you now uh, deliver, I think, in groups to patients. And can you talk a little bit more about that therapy?
2: Sure. Uh, if I could just back up just a second. So when we think about like treating, treating people, first, we want to make an accurate diagnosis. We want to do a full, complete assessment. You know, we have a process where we rule out a structural, but we also rule in a neural circuit disorder. And by that, I mean, you can rule in a neural circuit disorder because the pain is Triggered by the weather, or it's, it, it leaves, it goes away when you're on vacation, or it shifts from one arm to the other arm, or, you know, it's worse anticipating going to work the next day. All these variety of clinical skills that we, that we teach people. And then we educate about the mind body approach. And we, and we help people understand predictive coding and how the brain works. And then we're doing, we're trying to make people feel safe. So the third component of is what we're calling pain reprocessing therapy now, which is uh, our variant of combination of mindfulness plus cognitive behavioral therapy. But it's geared toward eliminating pain, right? It's it's geared toward not just coping with pain better, but eliminating it and helping people see that the pain is in the brain. And if they change their relationship to it and, and fear it less, and continue to move. And that's what happened to your friend, uh, Andy, where his, his fear vanished, his fear of the pain vanished, and the pain vanished. So those are the first three steps that we're doing with everybody. And the fourth step, is Victoria, to answer your question, <laughs> is emotional awareness and expression therapy, which Mark Lumley and I, who's a brilliant psychologist and, and, and teacher and researcher from Wayne State in Detroit, my colleague, uh, he... Uh, and I went to meet Alan Abbas, who I wrote the third book with, uh, uh, who is the foremost researcher and teacher in the world on intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy, more acronyms. But the bottom line is, how do we process emotions? People who hang, who hold on to anger, people who hold on to guilt, people who hold on to grief. And not as a choice, It's they're holding on to it because they don't know what to do with it. Their anger gets bottled up inside because they can't and feel ashamed to express it and, and feel like they're being violent. They can't be angry. They can't risk hurting anybody. So they hold it in, but it eats away at them. Uh, I saw today a, a young person who was just hanging on to guilt over something that, you know, he he did that was normal. And, you know, and and he's thinking of himself as a bad person. So these things drive the danger signal in the brain to create pain. So our model of EAET is a derivative of Dr. Abbas's work, which is a shorter way of helping people to ex- identify, express, and release emotions, do direct emotional work. And a lot of therapy doesn't really deal with emotions. They're more dealing with cognitive uh, types of skills.
0: So. Maybe I'm going to ask a question to bring this into a concrete place. What role have you found for fear in physical pain, and what could be done about it?
2: Yeah, well, fear is what drives pain. I mean, most chronic pain is is derived from a from the danger signal causing pain, pain causing fear of pain, frustration with pain, worry about pain, uh, fighting it trying to figure it out, trying to fix it, all these Fs with <laughs> fear at the top. And our the, and reaction to the pain itself is actually what then drives the brain to create more pain. And so most people with chronic pain, they get worse over time. And their pain spreads to different parts of their bodies over time because of this vicious cycle of pain, fear, pain. So it's of critical importance, and it's the basis of the PRT model that I mentioned earlier, pain reprocessing, is to help people reduce fear. And so when you put those, these two powerful models together, the fear reduction model and the emotional expression model, you have ways of really helping people be okay with who they are you know, to be more comfortable in their own skin, to preach, to love themselves more, to, to, to feel more comfortable with their place in the world and who they are. And most importantly, in their body, being comfortable with, with what their body is and who they are in their body. And that relieves the, tremendous tension in the brain, which is actually the driver of chronic pain. And it's not just chronic pain, as I'm sure you're aware, it's chronic fatigue and insomnia and anxiety and depression and addictive disorders and eating disorders and all these, all these things that are really uh, neural circuit disorders. Um, it's, It's phenomenal because when you see people and you talk to them, you spend time with them, they don't just have one thing. Right. They've got this whole checklist of things that have all been driven by by starting with adverse childhood events. Right. So when you have and not everyone has that, but everyone has some trauma in their life. And when you have adverse childhood events, what you're you're setting up the brain for fear and hypervigilance because your response to these childhood traumatic events is to be fearful, is to bottle up emotions. What do you
1: find is the acceptance of these ideas now and practices? Is it becoming easier to uh, convince both patients and practitioners?
2: Well, um, we're training a lot of younger people because I'm not sure we're, I'm gonna see. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not sure we're gonna see the paradigm shift uh, in you know in my lifetime. Uh, but yes, things are definitely changing. I mean, you're reading more and more about it in the in the papers and everything. There's a ton of resistance. You know, Dr. Sarno spent his whole career trying to get mainstream medicine to adopt his ideas, and that, that hasn't happened. Um, but the drivers of this—I was talking about this to a reporter yesterday. The drivers of this are really going to be the patients. Who are the people who care? You know, who are the people who are suffering? It's not really the doctors. The doctors are doing their thing. Sometimes they're frustrated that they don't know what to do with people. But, you know, there's a tremendous medical industrial complex. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a lot of financial stuff that goes on and, and uh, inertia and everything and what people are taught. It's hard to change. You know, I gave a talk to a society of, of headache specialists, neurologists who all specialize in headache. What am I going to tell them, you know? You should totally stop what you're doing. Your whole career, your whole training is based on injections and medications for primary headache, which are all neurocirc disorders. I mean, next couple of months, I've got to talk for the International Pelvic Pain Society. What am I going to tell them? You know, they're doing all these.
0: It's hard. Uh, you know, I have to say, as someone who uh, was a primary care physician, for nine years before I came to practice integrative medicine, I have long had this sense of mea culpa, because until you know, you may have treated people with more invasive, less natural, uh, more aggressive treatment than was required or would have been helpful. And so it is hard um, to recognize that there was information out there that might have really benefited your patients. But I think the other thing that has shifted since Dr. Sarno tried to change um, the world <laughs> is that there's so much neuroscience now that supports um what you are teaching, uh, the central hypersensitization wasn't known about. We didn't know that chronic pain was different from acute pain. I mean, there's just, and and you have been one of the people advancing the research. So I'm wondering if maybe you could just take a little time to talk about some of your research.
2: Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, we've, we've done uh... Uh, A few randomized controlled trials on emotional awareness and expression therapy. In one one of the large NIH-funded trials with fibromyalgia, we showed that it was actually superior to standard cognitive behavioral therapy for pain in this disorder. And it's the first it's actually the first large-scale study to show that one psychological intervention for pain was actually superior to another psychological intervention for pain. Because all the other studies have shown when you compare CBT versus ACT or ACT versus mindfulness-based stress reduction therapies, the results are the same. They're no different in their smaller effects. So we're seeing bigger effects. We've also completed a Pain reprocessing therapy trial, randomized controlled trial in Boulder, Colorado with back pain. And uh, that article is in a submission process now, which I'm sure it will be published eventually, um, showing again very, uh, very significant results, higher, higher results of people going pain-free than any other study that's ever been done so far. And this is with people with back pain, average duration of back pain was 10 years. And then we're doing this other study I was mentioning earlier where we're evaluating back pain. We're finding roughly 85% of people with chronic neck and back pain do not have a structural problem. So those are three of the most uh, important studies. The second two haven't been published yet. And we're really, obviously, we're just trying to advance the field, but it's not going to come from a search. You know, the, the change is going to come from people voting with their feet. You know, People who who are suffering, people who want something better, desperately trying to get better and looking for anything. And the more and more we build this movement, uh, the better off that we're going to be. And it's, and it's part of, frankly, I, I could say it's part of a social, I think it's part of a social justice movement. Because it turns out that what are the things which create pain? Well, adverse childhood events creates pain. But on top of that, what creates pain is, is injustice. Racial injustice causes pain, physical pain, because it, it activates the danger signal in the brain. You know, prejudice and discrimination on, uh, on sexual basis or uh, gender basis or, you know, the uh, age basis, et cetera, creates pain because our brains create pain when we feel there's injustice in the world. And so linking that, I think, can really link to, you know, what Martin Luther King Jr. called the arc of, you know, the arc of uh, history bends towards justice, right? And we have to work on all those levels, I think.
0: That's a really profound elevation of this work. And I guess it seems that it's not just the injustice that is experienced, it's the need to bottle your feelings about the injustice that has been experienced.
2: Exactly. I mean, you know, people make fun of microaggressions, but microaggressions, you know, you can die by a thousand paper cuts, right? <laughs> you, know, you have you have this constant, as you pointed out, you know, feelings, you're constantly feeling the need to react or can't react or have to hold in everything. And, and it's really recognizing the power of of our brain and the power of us as human beings being emotional creatures anger is not a dangerous or bad thing it's just dangerous when you act it out in violence in the world or you bottle it up inside. sign but what eaet does getting back to that for a second is it helps people have a healthy outlet for anger which is in fantasy, in imagination, in allowing that anger to come up in a safe and healthy way. And then dealing with the sadness and the grief and helping people to allow themselves to feel sadness and feel grief. And then to transform that grief into compassion and self-compassion and compassion for others. And what heals? What heals is compassion. What heals is hope and optimism. Those are the things that heal. And that's what we're helping people move towards. So when they get pain, it's not that the pain is a, it sounds crazy, right? But it's not that it's necessarily a bad thing. It's a message that their brain is giving to them, that something needs to change. And if people can hear that message and act on it and make the changes in their life and in in how they see themselves and how they treat themselves and how they treat others, it's a healing force.
0: So Um, We're moving towards the end here. And I know that our audience will want to know, how do I find someone who offers this kind of therapy? Uh, What are the resources available to me? I'm hoping you can share some of those.
2: Yeah. Um, we're training people like crazy, left and right. If anybody in the audience wants to have any training, please uh, go to my website, unlearnyourpain.com. Uh, we're doing trainings all over, all over the world. Uh, the PPDA, it's ppdassociation.org, is our professional nonprofit uh, organization. And also a clearinghouse for information on on research, bibliography, and a list of practitioners across the world is is available on that website. Um, You mentioned earlier, uh, Victoria, we were talking about some videos, some simple uh, animated videos that we've put together to help explain this to people. And those are available on YouTube, but through my website, unlearnyourpain.com. So um, the TMS Wiki is another excellent site, TMSWiki.org is another, it's a patient-run site for for information about this model. And it goes back to Dr. Sarno because it's TMS, (laughs) which was tension myositis syndrome that Dr. Sarno coined his term in the first place uh, back in the 70s and 80s.
1: Howard, what would a typical course of treatment look like uh, in terms of time and also money? And is it covered by insurance?
2: Yeah, it all depends on the person and you know how people are doing it. You know there's a there's a whole raft of of uh neural circuit specialists, psychotherapists who um do work remotely. Uh a lot of them um are not taking insurance, so that can be pricey. You know in my own practice, uh, I just bill insurance, you know. I just bill insurance. I see people for 2 hours for a first visit and then I see them for 1 hour after that. And, um, you know, it may take a few weeks to get better, a few months, uh, somewhere in that order. But there's physicians, you know, around the country who are also who are also doing this work.
0: Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for giving hope to people with chronic pain and creating methods for people to find Uh, novel approaches and empowering approaches that can really change their lives. We appreciate the work you're doing.
2: It's an honor and it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Uh, I've admired your work for many, many years, as I've said.
0: Listeners, this is Dr. Victoria Mazes. We would love for you to send us your questions. For Andy, myself, or for our guests. You can call us and leave a voicemail by dialing 520-621-3950. Again, 520-621-3950. Or you can submit a question by going to our website, azcim.org slash podcast. Again, azcim.org/podcast we will review your questions and try to answer as many as possible on our programs
3: we hope you enjoyed this episode of body of wonder brought to you by the andrew weil center for integrative medicine if you like the show, please rate us five stars. Follow the show and leave a review. To learn more about integrative healing and the center, go to azcim.org podcast. That's azcim.org podcast.